What's Underneath is a CastBox original produced in partnership with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to What's Underneath wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot and see for yourself. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire radical self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our new podcast, we are going to expand the types of intimate, unfiltered conversations we've been having in our viral video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we will interview diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. So, Mom... Lils, hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, so who are we here with today? We are with Ashton Applewhite, who is an author and activist against ageism, something I'm super, super excited to be talking about today because it is, along with all of the other isms, an intolerable prejudice and oppression in our society that we are very excited to shed some light on here right now and needs a lot of correcting in our in our society in our culture so very happy to be doing this with Ashton and Ashton how are you feeling right now I'm terrific you're terrific great to have you here thank you yeah so we're sitting in Ashton's um beautiful apartment in Williamsburg and close to her garden so you may hear some birds chirping throughout this interview but we thought it was a nice touch uh-huh. and right literally above the l train and so also, if you oh, yeah. hear a rumble yeah it's the train so ashton can you talk a little bit about um what you're just like something that you're feeling really excited about in your life right now like what's kind of getting you up every morning that's like charging you uh well um it sounds cliched, but this cause feels really, really important to me mm-hmm. personally because we're way more afraid of aging than we should be. And uh, collectively, because we're heading into a world of longer lives permanently. So it feels really important to me. And I feel incredibly lucky at 65 to be sort of hitting my stride on a subject that just is, is consuming. I mean, I'm a generalist. I could never figure out what to be when I grew up. I could never figure out what to major in in college or whatever. And aging is the biggest subject there is. It's how we move through life and interact with each other and institutions. So the more I think about it, the more clearly I know the things that I know, and the more also I realize how much more I have to know. So I love that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I mean, it's not like every morning I jump out of bed and go, yippee, but um, I feel caught up in something really fascinating and really important, and I feel very, very lucky about that. Can you talk a little bit more about why you feel you're hitting your stride at 65? I was always a super late bloomer. Um, I mean, there are no pictures of me as an adolescent. I think that they just burned them out of <laughs> kindness. Um, and I didn't start writing until I was in my early 40s. You know, I never had a burning desire to write. I never imagined I would be a public speaker. I'm an introvert and the opposite of a performer. But it's all come together in the last 10 years that I've been writing and thinking about that, that I feel like I'm in the right place at the right time and both that, you know, skills like writing and thinking critically that I have frankly developed all my life and also new challenges like public speaking and starting to become a public figure 
um, are all sort of crashing in and around me in a way that's sometimes terrifying, but thrilling. And I feel caught up in something bigger than myself. I feel like I'm a vehicle for this message. What inspired you to like latch on to this, this issue in particular? What were you going through when, when you decided to become an activist for this? Um, I didn't really decide to be an activist. Yeah. It sort of found me. I mean, I really do back into things. You know, I, it's not like I had some clear vision by any means of, of where I would be. Um, in hindsight, uh, I started writing about aging, researching it really, um, when I was 55, um, because I was afraid of getting old. Mm-hmm. So what and were you going through at that moment, like in, in specifics? Personally. I, I don't, I mean, I was 55. Um, I think, uh, you know, there was no specific moment where someone called me, you know, a little old lady or anything, and a, a light went off. Uh, I had been sort of casting about for a new project to write about for a long time. And so my, at that point, you, you were already writing because you said you started writing um, around 45. I wrote a book when I was 42 called Cutting Loose, Why Women Who End Their Marriages Do So Well, because I was getting divorced, shocker. And uh, and a, my attorney said, you know, a lot of my clients are people like you. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, women who are realizing that they don't have to stick it out in unhappy marriages. And I went home and I found out in two seconds that um, that two-thirds of divorces in the U.S. are initiated by women. And I was astonished because I thought it was 98% guys who were ditching their, you know, ancient trophy, you know, ancient wives for fertile trophy versions. And I thought, why does this surprise me? Is marriage not so terrible? Is, um, you know, is life after divorce not that bad? Why the discrepancy between what we think and the reality? Mm-hmm. And that was the genesis of a book. Mm-hmm. And 20 years later, a chance comment of my mother-in-law's. She said, why don't you write about something people ask us all the time? And she and her husband, Bill, were booksellers. They were in their 80s at the time. And she said, people are always saying, so when are you going to retire? And that, I realized, again, in hindsight, was sort of a safe passage into this murky, scary zone of later life and how to think about it. And also a safe way, because I could interview people over 80 who work. That's what I did. I started a blog called so when are you going to retire.com, not very originally. And I started interviewing people over 80 who work. And you know, it was easy to find them and it was safe. You know, it was a way to talk about oldness in through the eyes of older people who were continuing to do and be in the world as they had when they were younger. And I met millions of people in two seconds it was easy to find them and that didn't surprise me but what did surprise me was how everything i also started researching because that's what i do and everything i learned about longevity both from speaking with them and from research and we're not talking digging in dusty library stacks here five 30 second search on the internet was so much more positive and so much more nuanced than what I thought I knew Mm -hmm. about what it was like to be that old. And that was the catalyst for this project. Why the discrepancy? Why don't we know these things? We don't know the things about life after divorce for women because we live 
shocker, spoiler alert, in a sexist and patriarchal society. And also ageism does factor in to some degree. Mm -hmm. And we don't know these things about ageism because we live in an ageist, sexist, patriarchal Mm -hmm. society. And also um, because capitalism, you know, if aging is a problem, we can be persuaded to buy stuff to fix it or Mm -hmm. stop it or Mm -hmm. cure it. All Mm -hmm. those words have big air quotes around them when it's not fixable or curable, which is lucky because it's not a disease and it's not a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Snaps. So I was, yeah, I was just curious, like, um, just to like hear a little bit more about how your experience of aging has shifted as you've delved into this yourself. And like, there was not a particular moment of crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I feel like people will throw, um, rotten food at me for saying this, but I completely sailed through menopause. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, my, my, I, um, had for many years a wonderful halftime job at the Museum of, Nat- of Natural History here mm-hmm. in New York, which is one place that does not discriminate by age. So I wasn't facing losing my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, you know, an, uh, always an interesting freelance career. So I think it was more just sort of a free-floating anxiety about getting older, as we all do, and not knowing what it looked like and feeling that, uh, you know, the life I wanted was living at 55 and hoped to keep living to some degree was um, going to, you know, run into some, like a, like a boat, you know, into shoals and, and what were they? Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, sometimes a metaphor for me is, you know, when I was a little girl um, and thought there was a, a monster under the bed, mm-hmm. I would like jump onto the bed from as far away as I could get so it wouldn't grab my ankles. And when it comes to aging, there is a monster under the bed. You know, you are going to get older, and there's two bad things that are inevitable. You're going to lose people you've known all your life, and some part of your body is going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. But nothing else is inevitable. And for me in particular, but I think also for most people, just looking, creeping up to the bedspread and lifting it up and seeing what's there is way less fearsome than just not looking. And Mm -hmm. when we live in this age denial-oriented culture, because denial, pretending we're never going to get old, we're not like those old people when, in fact, they represent the future you, you know, that's where ageism takes root, and that's what causes all this anxiety and segregation and separation and all this stuff. Once you look, right, it's less fearsome, and that's the first step. What specifically? What are the problems? What are what are the things that we don't see? Why don't we see people aging? And how does that affect us? Like, how does that affect how we look at ourselves? How does how does it affect our fear of the future? It starts in our own attitudes towards aging and age itself, because we are all ageist. We are all grew up in a culture that bombards us with messages that old people are ugly, are incompetent, are useless with uh, starting in early childhood, mm-hmm. which is when attitudes towards race and gender start to form. Look at cartoons, you know, Grandpa Simpson, look at children's books. I know these placid, you know, featureless grannies, all those messages affect Mm -hmm. all of us. And until you stop and think about them, we're not conscious of them. And those messages become part of our identity and become, you know, it's unconscious bias. And dealing with unconscious bias is difficult and unpleasant. So the very first step is to look at your own attitudes towards aging and think about, you know, what they are. I mean, 
do you, how do you feel about getting older? And, and where do those feelings come from is the next step. One huge factor in this society is that there is so much age segregation. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you all went to the women's march or something like that. You know, when you look around and you see all ages, I think it feels fantastic and mm-hmm. feels natural. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is how life should be. And this is how life was until urbanization came in and people started, you know, and, and capitalism started separating um, workers of different ages and old age became a problem in the 20th century and retirement homes and nursing homes were invented. And so one of the problems is that we don't tend to age mingle that much. Right. And if you don't mix with people who look different from you, whether they're a different color or a different gender or, you know, different age, then they seem distant Scary. and other. And this othering thing is the source of all prejudice. Seeing a group of people as other than yourself, whether it's other sports team or other color mm-hmm. or other sexual orientation. The bizarre thing about ageism is that that other is, is you. your own future older self, mm-hmm. which makes no sense. No prejudice makes sense. Okay, all prejudice is irrational and unjustifiable. But the fact that, and we, we're we afraid of getting older for, for legitimate reasons, not only because we will face cultural stigma until we have an anti-ageism movement and overthrow that, but also because there are legitimate things, you mm-hmm. know, we're worried about getting sick or ending up alone mm-hmm. or running out of money. And those fears are legitimate and real. I'm not a Pollyanna that, you know, eat enough spinach and it's all going to be great. You know, maybe it will be, maybe you'll be lucky. But we're going to need all kinds of support from between our ears and each other and, um, you know, social and economic institutions Mm -hmm. in order to have the old age we want. One of the most absurd things in the world is that we all dread the one thing that we know is going to (laughs) happen. It's crazy. Like, how could that make a happy society? We don't talk about death. And as a result, we are terrified of aging. What it does is it creates an entire society that is paralyzed by this fear, I think. I think it trickles down into every single solitary thing. Now it's, you know, you know you're know, you right. I think that, you know, ultimately, I think the obsession with Kim Kardashian and I think the, you know, and, and the similar... Um, you know, thing of just like everything having to be smooth, everything having to this plastic perfection. Yeah, like this plastic perfection, um, and and people are worried about that. At, you know, at like sixteen or seventeen, oh, yeah. eighteen people years old, people start having Botox but, but, preemptively. But how is that? How could that possibly be a recipe for happiness? Right. How you know whether you know it consciously or mm-hmm. in your lizard brain? What are you gonna do? Like, what do you? I mean, inevitably, you're you're gonna not. It's it, it's it's coming. It's coming. Right. And the more you know, you know that that monster is under the it. bed, yeah. but mm-hmm. the monster part is not the getting old. The monster part is how we Treat deal it. with it um, yeah. culturally, right? Yeah. I mean, we need to change. If, if we were talking about the role of women or in society, think what a central role sexism, right? Institutionalized segregation and discrimination would play in that discussion. 
the role of ageism is equally central to any discussion right. about how we deal mm-hmm. globally with this amazing phenomenon that represents a triumph of public health. I mean, longer lives correlate with women's reproductive rights, not surprisingly, with higher education levels, with uh, less warfare, you know, with better health, with better health maintenance. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic achievement, and yet it's framed as this disaster, you know, because but, then but people I can think make just, money off but it. But I just think on a very personal, day-to-day, fundamental happiness level, if you are hating yourself, like the design is, so that we buy these stupid products that don't work and don't matter, at the end of the day, we want to be happy. Right. And we want to love life. And we want to feel good. And we want to and, be comfortable. And we want to matter. And we don't want to be invisible. You know, I just find personally at 60... It's just the most, inc- I love the, the challenge of like, I am not going to be invisible. Sorry. You know, it's just get louder, yeah, you know, no. and I, and I, because I will not accept being unhappy because I'm being told by who. One of the very early um, <laughs> giant data points that I learned very, you know, back when it was the, the project about older workers mm-hmm. was uh, the fact that people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. And when I first, I can't tell you how skeptical I was. I thought, well, they must have found, you know, two rich octogenarians and given them a cookie (laughs) and said, how's it going? And this obtains across class. I thought it must be a function if you're healthy or if you're wealthy. It obtains everywhere in the world. And it is a function of the way aging itself affects the brain, which is kind of amazing. The invisibility... Mm -hmm. Discourse is really interesting and really loaded. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I hear a lot of women saying, I became invisible, you know, at a certain point in my 40s or 50s. I think what most women mean, and it's not entirely heteronormative, is that when they walk in a room, heads don't turn. And especially men don't look at them and see them as sexual objects anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, if we give men that power we reinforce the idea that the most important thing about us is how we look. Mm -hmm. And that reinforces, you know, lookism, sexism, ageism, patriarchy. If we can stop competing to look young, if you and I don't size each other up when we walk in the room and see who's wrinklier or who's fatter or who has a man next to her and just refuse to play that game, that is where liberation lies. You know, we have a lot to learn from the body acceptance movement, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, you have time, like you have time to uh, evolve. You have time to challenge yourself and grow. And, you know, it, it, it's like... When you're older? Yeah, like life is like, a, like it, if, if you're lucky to have that opportunity, it's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity to become more of yourself. Yeah, I mean, they say people become sort of more condensed versions of themselves and I think it's true Mm -hmm. I mean there is that fundamental paradox that you mentioned no one wants to die young but no one wants to get old I wrote a really cranky blog post not long ago saying if aging is so awful if aging is so awful how come no one wants to be any younger right and no matter how unwoke people are to this if you ask them no do you actually want to go back to your 40s your 30s your 20s you can't just swap out the battered bits, right? You have to actually mm-hmm. unlearn everything. No one says yes, because yeah. we know, even if it's not conscious, that aging is a source of enormous power and that we are the product of all the things we've done and been and eaten and gone to. I mean, I, it's, ne- it's a great experience. Like I, I have to say for myself, I 
like myself more. I feel better like in myself, in my body. Me too. And I'm much freer in terms yeah. of what I say, what I, fe- you know, what I wear. Yeah, we are less and I feel, concerned with what people and think. And I, I, whether mm-hmm. it's true or not, I feel more attractive. Like, and I don't really give a shit whether I am or not, which is really great. But think like, about... Like, I don't know, I don't care if that's a reality. But it's a reality but I if feel it's it. the reality between your ears. I mean, yeah. if, if, let's, for the sake of argument, if, if the goal is to continue to be desired... In, in this narrow sense, right? To, to have other people think we're attractive. So let's say one measure of that is whether you're sexually active, which in PS, it's fine to not be. But look at your friends who are sexually active. They are not the thinnest. They are not the blondest. They're not the youngest. They are the people who feel like you just said you feel, that our lovers are lucky and that we are Let's confident. tell it like it is about that. I mean, that's attractive. You know, that right, confidence yeah. is the ultimate allure. Yeah. Can and I, also, can I hear, okay. well, can I, can I, can I hear some examples from your personal life of like the ways that you feel freer, more powerful, like more anything, more anything with age, like than you did when you were maybe my age in your twenties? Um, oh, geez. 10,000 <laughs> ways. I mean, yeah, definitely I more confident in my body, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, can when I was, yeah. yeah, I mean, when I was you know, in my, certainly in my teens and my twenties and, and on, I mean, I would say it's been steadily diminishing over time. Mm -hmm. You know, I I hate admitting this, but where my hips meet my thighs, there's this bulge outward. Mm -hmm. And when I, you know, was young, it was just this mortifying, um, flaw. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm very flat chested. Uh, I can Mm -hmm. remember, I don't know, maybe I was 15, like looking down in the bathtub and going, really? Like, this is it? Like, you know, (laughs) now (laughs) I love the way that my, uh, the fact that my tits look the way they did when I was 14. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you -hmm. know, and the stuff that seemed a terrible, hideous, awful, awful problem when I was 16 seems pretty okay now. And I love that. I mean, I'm sorry to reduce it to something so. No, it's really, I think this is, is exactly what are, what is on people's minds. It's good to say. What else? I like, keep it going. What Um, else is? Other parts of your life that you feel more. I mean, I'm also, I mean, I. I can't imagine that I would have the courage to become a public figure when Mm -hmm. I was earlier. It doesn't come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. But now I have the confidence Mm -hmm. um, to say, and also, I don't know, sort of the vision, if you will, to say this, this stuff is fucking important. Can I say fucking on your Mm -hmm. podcast? Okay, good. Um, And that I need to, you know, put that first, whether I use that as a sort of, um, an icebreaker in front of me or whether it's something I hide behind it doesn't matter mm-hmm. I can use it to, to be in the world and I feel like I am better at using the tools and opportunities around me and and better at prioritizing yeah. you know I'm better at figuring out what's important and what I need to devote my energies to yeah I think it's really refreshing for, for when you said earlier that you're a late bloomer and that you didn't like find your stride in your career until like your 40s is that what you said well or I didn't start now? writing Till I was in my forties, right. but but back then it never would have occurred to me to become a public speaker, right. and um, you know that just sort of happened. A friend who runs a theater festival mm-hmm. in Amherst, she used to come stay with me, and she was one of the few people I would piss and moan to about how stuck I was and how unhappy it was making me. And she has a theme every year, and she picked. She said, "Okay, the theme this year is going to be aging." 
And all her theater friends said, oh my God, don't do that. You know, no one will come. You'll lose all your subscribers. Well, she tripled her subscriber base because we are all eager for a way to talk and think about aging that rings truer to our experience. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to do the opening monologue. And that became the genesis of the of the main talk a talk i still give Mm -hmm. and that's when i thought oh i'll still never have to write another book i can just um speak and tweet and so on um but that was sort of the breakthrough how old were you i guess that was about five years into this project so i was probably around 60. i started style like you when i was 50. Mm -hmm. and was totally lost i had been fashion in a fashion stylist and for 25 years and taught yoga and was just totally trying to figure it out. And I started this at 50. Life is long. It's really long. I mean, I'm probably going to live till I'm 90 and you may well live to be 100. The way in which life is measured now is, was built for a society of shorter lives with right. these, you know, silo of first you, you go to school and then you work and then you retire and it's completely obsolete. So we have this incredible opportunity to reframe the way we think about things. It's not all ageism, the resistance. Structural, sociologists call this structural lag. It takes time Mm -hmm. for institutions and roles to catch up, which is why it's so important to change the narrative about aging now. What were some of the most inspiring, like, um, stories you heard from the older workers that you interviewed and met with? One of them, you should have done my dad, who's 85, still going strong. Um, Sorry to interrupt you, but he's a full-time... I had to, I kept trying to find a place to interject this, but he, I have two parents that are, I have my parents are both around eighty five and nothing has changed. He works full time. Surely um, things have changed. Well, yeah. I mean, what I mean is, they live their lives. They continue to live their lives as they've as they've always lived their lives. Is what I meant. Have they done any thinking about? how they will live their lives when something does significant change. does change. They don't talk about that so much, which I think we would love them to talk yeah, about. Yeah, that would be great if they would, would be, talk more about yeah. that. I but, mean, there's a fantastic project called The Conversation Project, mm-hmm. started by Ellen Goodman, uh, which is how to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned before, we don't talk about dying. We don't. We're starting to. Death cafes and Buddhists uh, do. Death, What's death, death, death doulas. Um, it, it, this is a movement to get together and talk about mm-hmm. death. Death. They're now death doulas is emerging as a field. Mm-hmm. The hospice movement, right. palliative care, those are all specific trends that are helping us die better. Mm-hmm. I see a movement against ageism as integrally bound by, to that, as you inferred, because if we don't talk about aging and getting older, if we're stuck in this thing, this delusion that everything can stay the same, we're not going to prepare for that change, which is inevitable. And Ellen Goodman started the conversation project as a way from either end. Suppose I'm, I'm your parents and I want to get, and my, my kids don't want to talk about it. Suppose you would like your parents to talk about it. Of all sorts of very subtle ways to start the conversation where it's not like, what do you want to do when you can't, you know, when you have a tube down your throat, but um, we could never get my partner's parents to talk about it either. And, and an example I remember from it is, um, was, are you worried about more? It's a one to five slide sliding scale, right? Um, So are you worried about too much intervention or too little? 
which is a very non-binary way to talk about these big, scary things. Mm -hmm. Again, that's a monster under the bed. Once you look at it, Mm -hmm. it is less scary. I, I thought I had to talk with my kids because I'm like, pull the plug. Well, I looked at the conversation project and I sat in the garden with my kids who really didn't want to do it. And two interesting things happen. One is my son said, well, what if you're hit by a tech cab, you know, outside the house? And I'm like, I want that liver transplant. And he said, well, Ma, that would be an extreme intervention. So I was like, oh, right. We haven't really talked this through because it's an ongoing mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my daughter's partner said two days later, she said, I was really dreading that, but I feel a lot better and I need to do it with my parents. Not to judge your parents, they are exactly like my in-laws who Mm -hmm. managed to sail out pretty much under their own terms. They drove to their weekend house into their late 80s every weekend, and every weekend were pissed at us that we didn't want to spend our weekends in Westchester with them. Uh, But it's... It, it is a delusion. It does deprive your family mm-hmm. of meaningful conversations about it, and it makes it harder to help them have what they want. Autonomy requires mm-hmm. collaborators. Mm-hmm. No one is independent ever. We all need help. Look at the fantastic crew you have to make this podcast happen. So this idea that we, that we are independent and we're going to stay that way really, really does us no favors. Mm-hmm. What's Underneath is brought to you this week by Lola. Known for its line of period products, Lola products are made from 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. Ever since we interviewed Lauren Wasser for the What's Underneath project in 2016, who lost her leg to toxic shock syndrome, I've realized the importance of knowing what I'm putting into my body when I get my period. And if I'm going to use a tampon, I now always make sure that it's 100% organic cotton. Not only does Lola do this, but they also deliver each month so I never run out and can avoid the frantic trip to the drugstore. Lola period product subscriptions are fully customizable so you can choose your mix of products, your perfect mix of absorbency, your number of boxes, and the frequency of your deliveries. Lola's subscription is super flexible. You can change, skip, or cancel at any time. You can pick your products choosing from pads, liners, or organic cotton tampons, which are available either with a BPA-free plastic applicator or in an environmentally non-applicator format. To top it off, Lola also offers sex products made with women in mind and specifically formulated to help maintain vaginal pH and guarantee peace of mind about what's going on and in your body. The Sex by Lola line is available for one-off purchase or subscription. You can also add it to your period subscription so everything is conveniently delivered on your ideal schedule. We also love Lola because it's a company founded by women for women. They are committed to creating transparent and trustworthy products, and they encourage candid conversations about the experiences we as women have throughout our entire reproductive lives, without shame or taboo. Lola is also do good with your purchase, which means that for every purchase, they donate feminine care products to a homeless shelter across the U.S. We love Lola, but don't just take our word for it. Try it for yourself. For 40% off your first order, visit mylola.com and enter the promo code STYLE to get started. That's right. For 40% off your first order, go to mylola.com today and use the code STYLE. Yeah, there's a fear uh, around the vulnerability of death. Yes, there is. And the vulnerability of, you know. Uh, or illness. Anything. Or just needing someone. Shame I mean, and fear. It's shame. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up shame. I mean... It's about stigma. This is a society that valorizes 
independence in a, you know, in a bogus way, because we're none of us, again, ever independent. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the one little thing I do myself, I mean, I am super healthy, except for my bones, my back always hurts, I have arthritis, various bits of me collapse on a regular basis. And um, not that long ago, I mean, when when I moved to Williamsburg, uh, where the median age is about 21, I said to myself, and this was during the floundering phase, um, well, when I can't get up and down the subway steps by myself, I'm just going to have to move because then I won't be keeping up, right? And then, you know, then I learn more, you know, then I realize, no, that's, that's, that's one solution, but it is not, you know, do you really want to secede? And what I now make myself do is ask someone, hello, to help me with my bag, and people are always thrilled to help, right? These are two-way transactions. Mm. That's another whole piece of it that never gets acknowledged. It's good for them to help me. They don't. I don't think they look at me say and say, "Oh, there's a you know little pathetic little old lady. I wish I could get down to the platform 2.5 seconds faster." You know, people beam. They grab it. It's a little embarrassing because they hoist my suitcase as though it was a lunchbox, and then I feel like, "Dang, that thing felt heavy to me." But you know. I get where I'm going. People mm-hmm. are happy to help. Yeah. And it's good for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good for them too. Totally. Talking, can we just go back a little bit more to you exp- talking honestly with your kids about, you know, death, dying, illness, and ju- just uh, just to, to further that conversation a little bit. I'm curious about your thoughts uh, as time goes on on how vulnerable you feel it is th- that you feel it's okay to be with your kids like how That's vulnerable that you feel is- uh, when well how how long ago was it three years ago I got a serious kidney infection and I ended up in the emergency room and um the reason you hear a smile in my voice is that I had decided to which I had mentioned to my kids to dye my hair white I put a, I'm happy to tell you the story behind that because it's an interesting one. Um, and I had talked about it and I totally, <laughs> so there I am in the emergency room with my partner and I thought I should tell my kids and my second thought was I don't want them, oh no, I don't want them to them to see me so vulnerable. And my third thought, which honest to God was instantly on its heels, what, who are you kidding? You know, that's why you have kids. They're adults. This is probably not the last time they're going to come and find you in the hospital. And of course, you should tell them. And they both came. And I didn't think that this was the first time they'd seen me with all white hair. (laughs) So they came in the hospital and pulled back the curtain. And I saw from their faces. And I was like, do I look that bad? And then I burst out laughing, even though I felt really shitty. So that was funny. I mean, the thing that I have realized about these conversations is that they have to be ongoing. I used to be a lot more certain. And what I know now is that I don't know what I'm going to want. Mm -hmm. A a phrase I use a lot in my talks is came from a uh, geriatrician and ethicist that I listened to at Johns Hopkins probably about 10 years ago, he said his mantra was a Mexican saying that the appearance of the bull changes when you enter the ring, right? It looks different to the matador. And behind him was a chart of women in labor with the x-axis being whether they did or didn't want anesthesia and the y-axis being how long they'd been in labor. Mm -hmm. And by the time they'd been in labor for a million bazillion hours, a lot more of them wanted anesthesia because the bull looks different. You don't know what you're going to want. I changed his phrase to the bull looks different. When we see an older person 
you know, hobbling or someone with a disability because we are genuinely as human beings afraid of illness and disability. Mm-hmm. That's just human, but also because we're ageist and we are barraged by messages that say, oh, they're useless, they're sad, we don't want to look at them, they make us uncomfortable. We grossly underestimate the quality of life mm-hmm. of older people and people with disabilities, right? The experience from within is different. Mm-hmm. There is a uh, geriatrician, he's a psychologist, uh, who, who runs this big, he's the um, uh, psychologist on duty at this huge retirement home and nursing home in Miami. And he told a story about um, uh, greeting a new patient who was in her 90s, and she had just lost her husband of 72 years. And he came in and said, I'm so sorry for your loss, blah, blah, blah. And she said, he was a monster, and I am finally free. Hmm. And he told this story on himself as, once again, that it's called the psychologist's fallacy. You can never know what another person is experiencing, which is another reason we need to mix up the generations, you know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm probably, yeah, I'm probably Mm going to need a cane. I'm probably going to need a walker. Mm -hmm. I have a zillion young friends and I know they're going to see that even if I have a cane or a walker, I'm still going to get out and have a ton of fun. And it's going to make those experiences less alien and less frightening for them. I was at this gathering like last weekend in Southern Oregon of an all women gathering and it was all ages and it was like this beautiful camping experience for like five days and it was really striking like how awesome it felt to be with so many ages in in like this social cool thing i was like wow this is too rare that like i'm that like that this is something that i'm like even noticing as an anomaly it's become Um, worse i mean i when i was your age in in new york like you know it was when i was in my 20s in new york it was less stratified. Everything has become, I think, more stratified. More, I think the media has. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with like me? Like parties. I don't know. If, I mean, I'm, I, mean, I trust I feel your like observation. I, I wasn't even like... noticing older people when I was right. younger, which I think, again, is a little bit human. Right. You know, it's really, really hard to imagine getting older. Mm-hmm. Part of it's just human. But also, you know, since, you know, we live in a society yeah, that segregates older people. Yeah, but we, we weren't seeing faces. When we were in our 20s, we, 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 when people aged, we saw their real face. You know, over, right. like, like over time, you don't even see. But when you see that horrible, you know, plastic surgery sheen. You don't see the real. What I'm saying is that I was used to seeing someone's real face age. And I didn't think it was. I, I remember not thinking that was. Ugly, or ugly, scary. or bad. Yeah. Or, it's I, I not. Just, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. But what I'm saying is, I think yeah. it's become more scary, exaggerated. That might be also um, particularly not extreme, but exaggerated if you worked in fashion. Yeah, you know, like yeah. fashion. But and I Hollywood. mean, if you look at the media now and how extreme the fo- the retouching is, or the people that they, you know, like everything, as we were talking about the Kim Kardashian moment. I mean, it's that that has become like. Um, what we worship, whereas when I, I just my experience, mm-hmm. I didn't worship that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I I were I knew many cooler, older people in in where I was working, and I worshipped them. I think that's going to change. I mean, mm-hmm. Allure magazine did ban the term anti aging yeah. from its pages. There's now a move to get. Um, two big um, companies in Britain to do the same, Boots Chemists, which is their sort of CVS, and another company that I don't remember the name of. You know, I think, 
I think, and I think it's going to change as the baby boom, of which I am dead center. I was born in 1952. Um, you know, I don't think all of us are going to go silently, and I don't think we're going to agree to, totally. you know, cut up our faces and become sort of frozen versions of ourselves. I was sitting with someone on a plane in her late 40s or 50-ish around and telling her about, you know, what we do with Style Like You, and um, and she immediately lit up about the gray hair issue. Like, it was kind of new news, like, to not dye it, you know, like just... So many people dye their hair. It's wild. Yeah. Like, it's just such a huge thing. I mean, yeah. I had this, um, years ago, this sort of fabulous idea that well, when, when we dye our hair just to cover the gray, especially, you know, people who don't like doing it, as opposed to people who've always dyed their hair or, you know, mm-hmm. do it as a creative thing, um, we make ourselves invisible as older women. And older men, you know, men do it too in much lesser number. And when a group is invisible, so are the issues that affect us. And I had this, and you know, if 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 everyone stopped, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, three quarters of the people on the street have gray hair. Okay, I mean, it's it's enormous. And I thought, wouldn't it be awesome to have the year of letting our hair go gray, so that people could see how many we are, how varied we are, how gorgeous we are. Mm. And I made the mistake of posting that on my This Chair Rocks Facebook page, and people went nuts. They're like, don't tell me what to do with my hair. If I didn't dye my hair, I would lose my job, and I've got children to support. Back off. I would look terrible with gray hair. Basically, don't tell me what to do. Fair enough. And then someone said, you go first. So I thought, well, that's fair. So I went and bleached my entire head white. Now, I am a sort of a cloddish and insensitive person. I'm not terribly perceptive. I didn't notice any difference at all. Except it was kind of cool because I had never, see, late bloomer, I had never dyed my hair. I'd never even streaked it. So I was sort of taken with this. Um, and But I learned a lot about not judging people and not, um, you know, not telling anyone what they should do with their appearance. We each need to age mm-hmm. in our own way and in our own time. If you need Botox or a facelift in order to feel confident in the world, go forth. But we're not going to become visible in all our power as older women until we stop doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge abstract ask. I get that. Right. And no judgment against anyone, I swear. I learned my lesson, and I mean it. Mm-hmm. But trying to pass for younger is like trying to pass for straight if you're gay. It's like trying to pass for white if you're a person of color. It's not good for us. Because it's rooted in shame about something that should not be shameful. Totally. And it gives a pass to the discrimination that makes those behaviors necessary. Totally. What are some of the other things, like, like language-wise, that you think should change? Like, and mm-hmm. obviously banning, like, anti-aging as, like, a good, like, a thing to, to be, a, as a positive thing would be one. I, I'm assuming that, like, be, like, reframing or redefining, like, the word old it would be good because like to me it's it's similar to like the in the body positive movement how like fat it, so many right. people are reclaiming fat as like a good thing it yeah, would I'm be fat, great I'm old. when old like, yeah. is reclaimed you look old oh thanks it, right. like, I mean I don't yeah. think we're there yet that's why when when I was writing the book and, and literally got tired of typing older people or older Americans I just shortened it to olders 
olders and youngers. Mm -hmm. So I like to say I've solved the problem of what to call old people because we're not ready yet to claim old. It will be fantastic when we're there. But most of us north of wherever, Mm -hmm. people are always saying, well, when do you become old? Well, there's no such thing, which is why I like older Mm -hmm. and younger because Mm -hmm. it busts up this fake binary because then Mm -hmm. you're going to wake up one morning on the wrong side of some divide and everybody's going to fall to You're always older and you're always younger. Right. You're always, (laughs) when you're a kid, you know, remember when you're a kid, how focused you are on so-and-so is a little bit younger and you can't wait to be older. So there's that. One of my um, pet peeves is the use of the word aging when it when the word should be older. Sometimes aging is absolutely the right word. Mm-hmm. Population aging. It's a real thing. But everyone is aging. So I right. so mm-hmm. I, it bugs me when people talk about their aging parents, for example, right. or aging celebrities, as though everyone in the audience was you but, know cryogenically they when frozen. They Um, Another word I really hate is elderly Mm -hmm. Uh, for a couple of reasons. It's usually paired with the elderly. And as we age, we become more different from one another. Think about it. Mm -hmm. You, you know, a group of seven-year-olds, of course, every newborn is a unique individual, but seven-year-olds have a lot more in common than 27-year-olds who are a lot more homogenous than 67-year-olds and so on. So the older you are, the less your chronological age says about you, developmentally, physically, cognitively, Mm -hmm. right? What you're interested in, your age is ever less important, which is sort of nutty when you think that stereotyping is the basis of all prejudice. So the basis of ageism Mm -hmm. is that all older people are boring or can't use smartphones or don't have sex or whatever it is. So stereotypes are always wrong, Mm -hmm. but they're especially stupid when it comes to age. So to describe older people as, as elderly is implies that they belong to this homogenous group of the elderly. And another, you know, rule in these politically correct times uh, is to call people what they want to be called. And I have never heard anyone describe themselves as elderly. Mm-hmm. Lily yeah. and I had a thing the we other day. A, also, we it's had yucky. A argument. We had a tiff. Just a yucky had, word. <laughs> Lily and I had a tiff because she was writing an Instagram post and she was wanted to talk about the old, the, the, um, the, uh, the olders. <laughs> at the go. at the at, at the gathering that she was at and she used the word old folks <laughs> and i just inside i just everything inside of me just went like we had an argument and i was i and and we went back and forth and it was on on text and um and and she said well you just have to get more comfortable with the word old like like, like i am fat. with fat and i and I said, it's not about old. It's you the could folks. use it's the it's old folks together. Yeah. To me, I mean, it's like elderly. It's like well, it's I think we think of the old, old folks, folks home. home. Right yeah, there, you go. Well, I just like the I enjoy the yeah. word folks to describe like groups of people and any right. any type. Like I think it's like a sweet word. I'm trying to learn but, not to say. But I, I get you, why you it has guys because like fo- it's gendered. I'm right. Trying to I think that about habit. that all yeah. the time. I don't I'm say like, you guys I'm anymore. Saying it all the time. I know. I know. I mean. You're both right, of course. You didn't mean it <laughs> condescendingly. Yeah. But if someone described my partner, and I mean, he's 72, as, you know, the old folks in the corner, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. Now, one reason I wouldn't like it is my own internalized ageism. Right. It right. shouldn't bother me. Right. Especially if I trust you and don't right. think it came from a, from a derogatory place. point. But honestly, use olders. The problem is solved. Olders. Okay. Olders. So we're going to make old- olders into... The the official, you official can get a word. Um, right. Yeah. We'll get, I'll give you like a gold seal of approval, uh, uh, approved by this chair rocks. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, if we believe in 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 the spirit going on, like you could be young. If you believe in this, that the spirit just continues, 
you can look at it. This this astrologer once said about Lily and I and related to Style Like You and how we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in the world. And she said, you just came in sooner. Oh, that's nice. You got here and it's just like the a right great time. way to yeah. look at it. You know? and, I mean, a word that I don't like because it is so often used in... It's used on to advertise a ton of anti-aging cosmetics, for example, is agelessness. Mm. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that yesterday. Yeah, I'm, I'm over agelessness. what it usually means is like without your years. Right. It's, and, like, and you're, it's is, like you're promoting that they you are not years. their I years. I want my years. Yeah. Do not take them away from me. Totally. But I was doing a talk radio show in Minneapolis and someone called in and she s- disagreed. She said, I feel like my spirit is ageless. Mm. And that is, of course, that. a completely legitimate point of view, but you're not trying. But I think right. it is it is often used in an ageist way. I mean, another language thing and a way to sort of help raise your own consciousness. Oh, and can I just plug one thing? On Absolutely. my website, available for a free download, mm. is a consciousness-raising guide. It's called Who Me Ageist? How to Start a Consciousness-Raising Group cool. Around Age Bias. Consciousness-raising is the tool that catalyzed mm-hmm. the women's movement because women came together and compared notes mm-hmm. and realized that what they had been thinking of as personal problems were actually widely shared collective problems that required collective political action. That's mm-hmm. what you see happening mm-hmm. now around Me Too, of course. So that's where we need to go with ageism as well, that if you don't like the way you look in the mirror, well, that's not because you didn't have enough facelifts or don't know, you know, or, you know, sat in the sun when you were a kid. It's the problem is how we frame how we look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we all need to make this, you know, way of looking differently collectively. Um, Back to language, think about the way you use the words old and young. Do they actually refer to things that haven't been around a long time? Or do you, I mean, I hear a zillion older people saying, I feel young, or I don't feel old. And what they really mean is, I, I feel don't good. Feel, I, right, or I feel sexy, or I feel with it. Well, it's funny because I... And you I, can feel that way when you're old. at any age, just like you can feel miserable and uh, like totally. the biggest I mean, loser in the world at 13. So only use, use the word that describes how you actually feel right. instead of old slash young to mean good thing slash bad thing. Totally. So is it bad? Because one of the things that yes, I... Yes, it's bad. No, what Whatever I was going to say is that I... Is you that feel young. No, that I think the joke is... I feel like the joke about aging and dying is actually on us, you know, because it's it, it's become a tool for marketing and capitalism. Um, the joke is the joke is on is on us because personally, as time goes on, because I feel younger. But AKA, like, is that a bad thing no, but to you're say? You're saying you feel better. What you, yeah. you you totally own your age. You you, you said feel, 20 minutes ago that the reason you feel so good in your skin and so yeah. powerful is precisely because you are as old as you are. I so, think we get younger or something. Nobody like, gets younger. What, what, what I mean is that we... Yeah, but that's exactly what she's saying is that that yeah. word isn't the actual right. correct I, way to describe the feeling. You yeah. feel more spirited. You feel more free. You right. feel more It's the wrong awesome. word to use. But why it is, is that the wrong word associated? to use? Because it reinforces that's, the idea that younger is better. Right. right. And it's the same with and saying... And you're so right. You're so right about... it. You're so right about... Sorry, just hold your thought for a second. <laughs> it's a, you're, you're so right about what you're... What, about that. It's that. That is a really awesome point to make because... It's not like I'm with, I, I want people to, to be clear about this. It's not because you don't have problems. You, right. you continue to have problems. I mean, I, I have, I have, I struggle with, you know, certain anxiety, health issues, 
you know, things that I didn't have before or I did have before or whatever. It doesn't mean that you're getting older. That's hard. Well, or that you're, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not like it's perfect. It's just that it's just that it really, it's more that it hasn't like it's just a different variation. It's just different yeah. as we it's move a different along. Variation. Right. But it's I mean, the same thing as uh, this is why I was saying earlier that ideally in an ideal world, old wouldn't be synonymous with bad, and young wouldn't be synonymous with good. And you could use "I feel old" in like a good way, hypothetically. That's the goal. That's, that's, a, that's the a, goal. a dream. So similar like fat. to I think yeah, fat is a really good to, analogy. It's like people say, "You oh my god, you look thin," and it's assumed to be a compliment, and you look fat is assumed to be an insult. Exactly. But that's also not how it should be exactly so that's the hashtag dream but this is yeah. really i mean it's we're a great goal yeah you know we're you should be proudly saying i feel old like in in the dream world rather oh yeah than i feel younger listen i'm not there yet mm-hmm. I, I mean i don't older. like to admit this i will yeah. happily cop to older and do all the time but old is a stretch for me yeah it does still seems like some absolute end stage mm-hmm. that I'm not at. Totally. And right. that's a little delusory. I mean, I feel the when, same way. you know, another thing is, it, you know, it, if you, is how people, people still talk about um, older people as them, not mm-hmm. us, even when they're in their, you know, 60s and 70s, when clearly you can call yourself whatever, but they be us. Right. Right. right I mean, right, I'm, right. I got a lot more road well, behind me sort of than like, I do ahead. Isn't that sort of just like the, the, the feeling that like, are you ever an adult? Like what isn't being an adult? It is like that. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> it is, is like that. Wanna, yeah. Well, when is old? Well, there's no such right. question. Well, that's why it's I think false... the joke is on us. Like, that's what I mean is yep. that, is that it is this, this continuum. Exactly. It's a, a continuum. A spectrum. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There and, is no old young divide. And, the media and capitalism use that divide to separate us like and all segregate divides. us and yeah. pit, you know, old versus young mm-hmm. so that we are competing instead of organizing together to change society, to make totally. it easier Completely. for young people too. I mean, being young is no picnic. Ugh. Your 20s are really, really hard. I have never met anyone who <laughs> wanted to go back to their 20s. And one of the reasons they're hard is because of this cultural message that if you're not perfecting your career, finding your mate, um, having fabulous sex every minute, and of course, looking perfect. Getting married and having children. Getting married and having children, at least starting That's that, you know, then you are failing because if because after 30, all gonna suck right right so, so that's ridiculous. an additional awful message yeah and if we and know, we're like yeah we don't we're young and dumb like we don't know anything yet we don't know ourselves hard. yet you're figuring out really really hard things yeah. I mean, you know i i will say for absurd. myself that i had um my son at 29 and lily at 31 and um i observe for instance a very good friend of mine who just had a baby at 40 and just the way she is a mother at this age is so I'm salivating because <laughs> of, you know, her, the wisdom that she has being 10 years older than I was. And I think there's such value in that. I mean, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing. Do you have any remaining in your life, like sources of shame? <laughs> there's things about myself I don't like, Mike. Um... I wish I were less anxious. I wish I were better at living in the moment. Um, I wish I were a better sharer. Um, I have hang-ups about my body still, you know, sexual stuff. You know, should I try things that I haven't tried? Mm -hmm. And then I go down the wormhole of I'm 65 and I've had a lot of fun so far, so why Mm -hmm. should I? And then that goes into the wormhole of, of course you should, because it's out there for the sampling and Mm -hmm. don't you want to you know, have as big a life as you can, you know, right. as varied and diverse experiences mm-hmm. as you can. Mm-hmm. So I don't love that, but um, 
it's also, you know, it's human. Yeah, totally. Do you, do you ever feel the limitation of time? So this extra pressure to do things like to get somewhere or just to some degree, um, you know, I think, I, I mean, you know, if you, I mean, time, time is finite and, there is not an infinite amount of time to get stuff done. One thing I worry about because of my issues with my bones is physical mobility. I mean, we're, we're going to, the, to visit a couple of national parks this summer for my birthday because I'm concerned that in the not-too-distant future, I won't be able to hike. Mm. I know. So I'm aware of that. Why is that? Why is that? Because of what? Because of arthritis, just my arthritis. bad back. I have, you know, my feet hurt. Yeah. Boring stuff. And so I better <laughs> do this while I can. Um, but on the other hand, I'm incredibly lucky to be able to go do it. Um, you know, I also think that I have an ongoing argument with a much younger friend who thinks that it would be fabulous if we can just do life extension and live forever, which not coincidentally is a cause, um, you know, dear to the hearts of wealthy white men exclusively. Uh, I think that... Uh, the fact that life is finite is what gives it meaning. Mm. And a zillion philosophers and Greek myths agree with me. I didn't just cook this up. It is the fact, one of the, another thing that I learned early in my research, which bowled me over, I just assumed that one of the many things that must suck about getting older, I literally envisioned the, sta- the shadow of the Grim Reaper, you know, stretching across your bedstead. And not only does everything suck, but you get to be more and more scared of death being closer and closer that's not the way it works. Mm. The longer people live, the less afraid they are of dying. This is the psychological underpinnings of that U-curve of happiness. Knowing that time is finite makes us better at living in the moment and appreciating the here and now. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily a function of age. You see the same change in young people who have um, mortal illnesses. We get better at choosing what we want to do with our time and who we want to do it with. And in that lies happiness. Mm. totally I, we should sell I, it just made me think when you were saying that that can you imagine like having celebrations around the f- time being finite I mean just That'd like be cool. l- literally you know just subverting <laughs> that and going yay I let's read, like <laughs> let's like celebrate that that'd be amazing. I read somewhere that um <laughs> that uh you know for wedding um anniversaries we give people you know the paper and the whatever all the stuff all through that at a certain point there should be for each wedding anniversary or birthday you should start giving stuff away mm-hmm. which i really like you know yeah. there should be because we accumulate all this crap and what gives Instead things meaning is the stories around them and that we should definitely develop rituals my, my partner bob stein did a a TED talk around this, you know, develop rituals around giving stuff away. And what are the stories behind them? Yeah. That's genius. I want to start that. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the biggest risk you've taken in your life? Do you think? Um, Well, I left my marriage with two pretty little children. They were Mm -hmm. six and eight at the time. That was a huge risk. It felt like one. Can you tell us a little bit more about like taking that leap and what it was like? I just, I knew I had to do it, mm-hmm. and it ended up being, I think, the best thing for everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. my, you know, I, you could, you'd have to ask my kids, mm-hmm. you know. What Why they, did you have to do it? Because I couldn't stay in that marriage anymore. I could not be my full self. Mm. You know, I was more ambitious 
And neither of us knew what to do with that. You know, whatever we did, we did it together. He was the best husband he knew how to be. Um, but I had to make myself small, you know, in order to have the marriage work. And, um, you know, it was dumb of me, but I didn't know any better and neither did he. I mean, and then I ended up writing a whole book about it and learning again. I mean, I got my consciousness raised learning that this experience was not my personal failing. I mean, not, not that I didn't bring my own personal weaknesses and strengths to the marriage, of course, but that this is a function of the way patriarchy compresses women's lives so they can serve the marriage so the marriage can serve the man. And it's not our friend and it's not the friend of your mate if they too want an egalitarian relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, How old were you when you got married? I was 29 when I got married, which I think is one of the reasons I got married, which is really embarrassing to Cause admit. Because you, you were turning 30. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's and, a good thing to admit, though. I think eesh, it's helpful yeah. to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I hope my book on divorce keeps some younger women from making that mistake. And I was married for 11 years. So I, I separated at 40, 30, 39, 40. And, um, you know, it was a really, really good thing to do, but it was really hard. Mm. And now you've been in a relationship yeah, for how for, long? Yeah, for 25 years. Yeah. With a wonderful, um, weird man. <laughs> Love wonderful, weird people. What are you most afraid of? Um... Well, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm still afraid of dying, mm -hmm. but I'm a lot less afraid than I used to be. Um, I mean, I can't even think about something happening to my children. Mm. You know, mm. you just your thoughts don't, that's like just crashing into, you know, or my grandchildren. Um, but I'm not, I'm pretty brave. Mm. I'm, I mean, that's, you know, the, the downside is I'm like, I'm a total, like, I'm clumsy, uh, uh, it's hard to offend me, but I can be clueless. I'm just sort of a blundering, persistent person. You know, I just get a, a bit between my teeth and I'm on it and I'm, you know, I'm on it. I'm in this thing and it's really exciting. And mm -hmm. I feel like it's, I'm, I used to worry about getting dementia. I mean, I do worry about, I worry about immobility, but mu again, much less than I used to because the bull looks different. You know, it's going to be different from the experience and I have a ton of younger friends and honest to God you know if I need to get to the dance floor in a wheelchair they will push me <laughs> and they will not that's be awesome. embarrassed that's and awesome. that will help them when they get old mm, totally that's a great answer cool thank you thank so you much. thank you that was great thank you very much <laughs> it was awesome we hope you were inspired by this episode until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode and subscribing to our podcast. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at StyleAQ. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth.
Do you like video games? Do you love PlayStation? Then I may just have the podcast for you. My name is Colin Moriarty, co-host of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, a weekly show dedicated to all things PlayStation 4, PlayStation VR, PlayStation Vita, and soon enough, PlayStation 5. Since I started professionally covering the gaming industry in 2002, a lot has changed. Games are deeper, more immersive, and more beautiful than ever. They're bringing players on adventures we never quite knew were possible, and changing lives through the positivity of escapism. Our show celebrates all of that with a weekly burst of news and analysis, and a healthy dose of laughs too, mostly delivered via my co-host, comedian, YouTuber, and gamer, Chris Raygun. If you're gigantic nerds like us with a passion for the PlayStation ecosystem, past, present, and future, we hope you'll join us for Sacred Symbols, available on CastBox and pretty much anywhere else you download your podcasts. I'm Kyla Coleman. You might know me from Cycle 24 of America's Next Top Model. I have a brand new podcast called Not So Glamorous. On this podcast, I'll be taking off the eyeshadow, trading in my heels for some comfy shoes, and I'll tell you all about what happens before, during, and after the runway. Each week, I'll be covering a different topic in the world of modeling on Not So Glamorous. Find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon.